0: Check out heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. You guys, I am so excited to share this Wheels Off with you. Steve Poltz is a singular individual, he is a one of a kind. He has I think I've said this about people before, but nobody deserves this descriptor more than Steve Poltz. He has a big engine, perhaps the biggest engine. There's a lot going on in his brain and in his giant heart. He's such a funny, fun dude. I knew he would be a great guest for Wheels Off, but I wasn't prepared for the amount of fun I was going to have in speaking to him. My face literally hurts from smiling after spending a half an hour with Steve. He shares a lot of stories. He shares a lot of insights. Some of the most useful advice that's ever been imparted during these Wheels Off conversations. At the end, we get into some goofy stories about like kind of don't do drugs, but here's my crazy drug stories. I hope it's not triggering for anyone. I don't think it will be. I don't think he's, Glorifying any drug use in his stories, but it's just memories from like 40 years ago of insanity. And anyway, just thought I'd give you a little warning about that. But man, otherwise, I know you're gonna love this interview. He's so fun. Oh, oh, oh! Bio: Uh, Steve Pultz is a singer-songwriter. He was in a band called the Rugburns. He talks a lot about that. He co-wrote a bunch of the songs on Jewel's breakthrough album which hopefully is still making him a ton of money every month because it couldn't go to a nicer guy. Please welcome to Wheels Off the great Steve Polts. Welcome to Wheels Off, Steve Polts. It's so exciting to have you with me. How are you? I'm wonderful,
2: and I'm so happy to be a part of Wheels Off. So, yes.
1: Um, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? So I'm in
2: Portland, Maine right now, and I'm on tour with the Wood Brothers. And there was a huge bomb cyclone storm. And so we had to cancel Portland where we were supposed to be Saturday. And they've been juggling stuff around. So I played Plattsburgh, New York with them and Albany. And then we rescheduled uh, Maine for tonight, which is Tuesday. Last night we had a night off. So, I'm staying in a beautiful West End hotel right across the street from the State Theater. And being that I always stay in Marriott's, so I'm like lifetime Platinum Elite. So, they upgraded me to a suite where I ordered room service and I can walk across the street to the gig. And when you're Platinum Elite, you get a 4 p.m. checkout. So, I had all the Wood Brothers over here because I'm riding on their tour bus with them. So, I had them all come over to my suite and we watched that movie Don't Look Up, the Netflix film, the Adam McKay one, yeah. as a whole group with the crew and everybody. It was so cool. So I'm living the I'm living the dream, Rhett.
1: Well, it's funny. I love it. It's it's that the kind of stuff that like when you and I would run into each other, we might wind up talking about you know, like uh, flight awards programs or hotel awards, but like it's, <laughs> it's just work stuff. But it's like it's uh, you're you're figuring out hacks, and so you've obviously figured out some good hacks over the years.
2: Yes, one of the hacks is this. So I have a Southwest uh, Chase Visa card, and I charge everything to that until I get my uh, companion pass done. And my wife Sharon is my tour manager. So she flies everywhere Southwest Coast for five bucks, meaning like Hawaii, Costa Rica, Mexico City, all these places and all over the U.S. So rather than going a tour bus, if I go, if ever I'm on a tour bus, it's when my friends are like, hey, ride with us, open the shows, sit in with us on a song and we'll write songs together. And so I get that offer a lot of times. So then I'll do my tour bus stints. But for the most part, I use Southwest as my private jet, I call it, and I rent cars. So I don't even own a tour vehicle. I just fly in, rent cars, go to the next area because I used to tour in a more logical way where an agent lays it out. And now it's like I can take a gig and go, yeah. I'll go play Halifax, Nova Scotia, of course I'll put United because obviously Southwest doesn't go to Canada, but I'll do that. And then I can zip back over and they'll go, oh, you're wanted to play this really cool festival, High Sierra Music Festival or some, something going on. I can go across and I'm able to surgically strike and tour uh, in a way that when we were younger, I wasn't able to.
1: Well, I love that. And I love that you're getting to do real shows in front of human beings again, Knockwood. I think it's so fantastic. Um, so what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it light you up?
2: Well, what happened was during the pandemic, a lot of people, obviously none of us were working, but then I knew, I knew this crazy promoter in Northern California named Casey Turner. So Casey Turner does these shows in the Bay area. He's like a young Bill Graham or something. And he'll do shows with friends of ours, like Chuck profit and Alejandro Escobedo, Bob Schneider, the usual suspects. And, He'll do house concerts, he'll do clubs. And so during the pandemic, he finds out that as long as you have 20 people or less, you could play an outdoor show in a driveway. (laughs) So he says, how would you like to do that? And of course, I always say yes. That's always been my motto. So I go to do these shows and you name a price, whatever you want your price to be. And I was doing three shows a day. So where most people weren't working, I would do three shows a day, five days in a row. So I'd do 15 shows in five days and they would be 75 minute shows. Casey Turner picks me up at the airport, drives me everywhere, we're masked up. I can't sign any merch, I'm staying back away from people. And he brings a little Bose stick, PA, perfect. They get great low end, as you know. And I'm playing these shows And then somebody, I just put the merch far away. Like everybody had the plague. I go, take what you want and just send it through Venmo. And I did so many shows. It was amazing. So I kept working. Getting back to your question, I I live in Nashville. So I got back home to Nashville and my friend Oliver Wood from the Wood Brothers said, hey, man, we're all just sitting around. Come over to our studio, wear a mask. And it was like a drug dealer offering you the first line of Coke for free. <laughs> so he goes, come to a song while we'll the woods play on it. I did it. It sounded so cool that I ended up making a whole record, which will be out February 18th.
1: Nice. Oh, that's so great. I love it. Um, what's it called? So it's called Stardust and
2: Satellites. I sound like I'm on meth right now because I've had two cups of uh, peachy Tibbs English breakfast tea, which is like my <laughs> go-to. All I drink is PG Tips, and because the first time I was touring over in England, they called it Builder's Tea. And it's strong caffeine, PG Tips, English breakfast. Now, I have to have it with boiling water. If the water's not boiling, do not give me lukewarm tea. And it needs to steep for four minutes and then have a splash of milk in it. And I can't have my tea till I've had my oats. And I travel with my oats, and those are Bob's Red Mill, five grain with flaxseed. And my wife puts them in a food processor, so it gets, turns them into instant oats, and I mix them with flaxseed, cinnamon, and a little pinch of salt. And then all I have on my rider are bananas and blueberries, which I slice into my oats, and I steep it for 11 minutes, stir it around. Then I have my oats every morning. Then I have my tea. And then after that, that's Ooh. when the world starts happening, yeah. I
1: love that. So you must travel
2: with a kettle. <laughs> I do. I travel with a kettle. You knew. Of and course. All, I bring, all I bring is one pair of jeans. Like right now, I'm really into I'm a Jean and Willie, this uh, company in Nashville. I love their uh, raw denim. So I have a pair of I'm a Jean and Willie jeans, and I bring one pair of shoes, which are RM Williams Australian boots, because I tour Australia a lot. I bring those and like maybe two shirts. But then I have 15 T-shirts rolled up tight Marie Kondo style. 15 pairs of socks and 15 pairs of underwear. So I don't have to do any laundry on the road. That's all that's in there. And the rest is all merch because you get four bags on Southwest for free. And so I get on Southwest and as the bags get lighter, my pocket gets larger because it means I've sold some merch (laughs) and I always come up with a cool design. So I I love being on the road. I'm going to be 62 February 19th. And I swear to God, Rhett, I feel like I'm 18.
1: Well, you've, you've always struck me like that. And so I wonder, like I've, I've been lucky enough to watch your career. I've been aware of you since, you know, whatever, for 30 years now. And, um, and it's been so fun to watch you because I feel like you've always got a really great attitude. I feel like you're always, you know, figuring out, you're looking around corners, you're doing, you're thinking of crazy stuff and you've got a great energy. But I wonder like when it was all starting for you, I wonder about the origin. Do you remember like an epiphany moment when you knew I'm going to be a songwriter or a traveling troubadour or however you envisioned yourself?
2: Yes. And what happened was I, I was playing in San Diego and my sister got me this record. It was by this guy named Elvis Costello. And he had just come out with this record called My Aim is True. So I was going to San Diego State. It was like 1979. And they had these music listening rooms where you'd give them your college ID and you could pick out six records. So I'd pick out, I remember i go, Bob Marley and the Wailers, Roster Non-Vibrations. This looks interesting. And I put it on I go, ragga music. Hmm, this is cool. I start discovering all this stuff and my sister buys me Elvis Costello and my aim is true. And then I got a fake ID, started going out to clubs. And I started seeing bands like the Penetrators. And then that morphed into years later, the Beat Farmers, seeing my friend Mojo Nixon. And I was just like, oh my God, I wonder if I can do this for a living. And I started playing in the Rugburns. We started as a duo. And next thing I know, you know, crowds started getting bigger, 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 and our shows became just crazy. And along that time was where I became aware of you and (laughs) the old 97s. And I mean, you guys were beloved in San Diego. I mean, all over you are. And also it's your solo career too. Like I've always been a fan. And so you guys really had like such a cool thing. And there was a model for bands like ours with the Beat Farmers, with Mojo Nixon, with the Blasters, with X and all these bands. And so I remember we were playing. And John Doe saw us play, and he liked us, and he goes, you guys want to open for us at the House of Blues? And I was so excited because we're going to open for X at the House of Blues in Los Angeles, and I just signed this publishing deal on the hood of a Cadillac with Herb and Martin Cohen, the Cohen brothers, and they signed us to Zappa's old label, which was called Bizarre Planet Records. So I remember, I was like, so if I just sign this, you'll own my publishing, half my publishing – And you'll give me like a little bit of money? Yeah, I'll give you a check right now for a thousand bucks. Can I get it in cash? Yeah. And I go into Molly Malone's drink party. And then we play a show that night. And we used to do a cover of Sweet Transvestite as an encore, The Rugburns. And I'd run backstage, change into a dress, put lipstick on, fishnet stockings, a wig. And I come running out and Molly Malone's had this low part of a stage. Oh! Bam, my head hits it. And I used to always act like I got hurt on stage and the band would laugh. So they thought I brought fake blood. And I remember Gregory Page, who was in the band and Stinky the drummer, they're going, that's the best one yet. And then they realized I had I had a huge gash. I got 56 <laughs> stitches in my skull. And the next night we were supposed to play and open for X. And the doctor's like, you have a massive concussion. You can't do anything. And I was like, screw that. And I remember we opened for X. And I'm standing there, and my head was shaved way back, and I had this big stitches back in my head. And we were playing, and we looked so (laughs) freaking tough. It was so (laughs) badass. And then I took a picture of it, and we put it on a T-shirt, and it said, "Mommy, I'm sorry." It was a Rugburns (laughs) T-shirt.
1: I love that boy. You know what? I love that moment. And I hear about it a lot when I have these conversations. When somebody says, "I wonder if I could do this for a living." And I've got these two teenagers of my own now. And they start asking themselves that. And I'm like, you could do anything you want, guys. Just freaking do it. And boy, I love you disobeying doctor's orders and running out on stage. I mean, not that kids should go and do that, but that's kind of part of it, right? You just it's, it's about bravery and foolishness and the blurry line between them. It really
2: is, and I find that if you can find your own club and make it your own, you can make anything happen, I'm a big believer in creating your own scene, and I told Jewel this years ago, I've told so many people this, it's, what I, it's my ethos, find a club nobody goes to, drive around your city, find a dingy bar, find a cool coffee house, whatever, whatever your vibe is, and then say to the owner, can I play here every Thursday night? What do you mean every Thursday night? Every Thursday night. I promise a crowd will start coming. If you believe it and you can get a place, then you create this home scene. And we did that in the Rugburns at Kelly's Pub. And I remember at first, all the locals are going, who are these idiots? And then we slowly start bringing a crowd in. And nobody was going to this bar. It was free to get in. And you could smoke back then in the bars. So it starts getting so crowded. People would get there at six. We wouldn't start till nine. There'd be a line to get in. All the people would be smoking. The girls, for some reason, would all take their tops off and sit in their bras. I don't know why, because it was so hot in the summer. And so there'd be all these girls in bras smoking, a thick cloud of smoke. The owner would give us all the beers we wanted. And we'd have all this Guinness. I'd throw it in the audience bash my head on a ceiling fan. I would take the mic stand and ram it through the mirror that said Guinness, those huge Guinness mirrors. I'd break it. I'd rip the curtains down, set them on fire, pour beer (laughs) on them. Um, The shows were so crazy. So this Irish dude owned Kelly's pub and I'd have to go in the next morning um, because we would always play, I think on Saturdays or Fridays. And I'd go in the next morning and he'd go, well, Steve, you're supposed to get $300 for the gig. But you did $260 worth of damage, so I can only give you 40 bucks. If you wouldn't destroy the place, you'd make some money. And I'd always be all sheepish and apologize, and I'd go, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Next week, I'll do better. Sure enough, I'd get drunk again, destroy things. And I'd come up with these ideas, and I would go, okay, today, we're going to get all these toasters at all these thrift stores. We're going to buy 15 toasters and a bunch of Wonder Bread. And at midnight, we're gonna make everybody cinnamon toast and we'll get butter. And my partner in the Rugburns is like, why? And I go, why not? And so I make everybody cinnamon toast. But here's the problem. I had all the toasters plugged in and it blew a fuse in the club. No. All the power went up. So we lit <laughs> candles and we're serving cinnamon toast to everyone. And I remember everybody's going, you're going to do cinnamon toast again? That was the coolest thing. Even though I was only done once, I still have people that re- remember it.
1: So oh, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to stump me with, with this next question. And I've asked it of all of my guests now for a hundred and however many episodes of Wheels Off that I've done. Um, but every single creative type person with whom I've spoken has, uh, has acknowledged that they deal with some sort of like internally generated obstacles, whether it's just doubt or whether it's, um, you know, a hyper self-criticism or imposter syndrome or success guilt or whatever. Like th- there's, there's things that we build up in our mind that are obstacles to our own creativity. And. And so far, like I said, everybody I've spoken to acknowledges having had that, but you, like to me, you are such a, just a unbridled, joyous human being, but I've got to assume that every once in a while, you have to wrestle with demons or darkness. And I'm wondering if, if that's the case, what you've figured out as far as tricks, like ways through that or around that darkness.
2: That's a great question. So i have two examples that really stand out when i feel i just bombed one was i'd just gotten a major label deal with mercury records i'd left the Rugburns, and i'd gotten press and rolling stone danny goldberg signed me so they send me out on the road i was booked at the time by caa creative artist agency and i'm getting all these opening slots so they send me out to play an open for a guy at a club called Rosebud in Pittsburgh. The club was called was Rosebud. The artist was my friend Dan Byrne, who wasn't my friend back then. I didn't know him, but I knew I was intimidated by him. And I went out, and I could not win the crowd over. And I had that voice in my head that went, "These people hate you so much. You are so horrible. That girl in the front row hates you. That guy hates you." And I couldn't shut the voice off. And so I never, when I got off stage, I left, I didn't even go out to the merch. I left my merch at the club and just, I didn't, I was so embarrassed to go out. And I did that one other time and it was at Slim's in San Francisco. And I opened for Lucinda Williams. And I remember I had that same thing in my voice in my head. And I left the club that night too and left my merch. (laughs) Like I was spooked. So I've often said I'm like a skittish racehorse, but. Those are the only two times I remember that happening, and now I'm friends with both of those people, and they laugh when I tell them this. They like, they don't even believe it because they didn't even know. But in my mind, I had created this thing that didn't really exist. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It wasn't great. I didn't have the skills I have now. And when I say that, I always pretend I'm Liam Neeson in the movie Taken. I have a certain particular set of skills. And my set of skills is I know I can go out now with a guitar solo. And I have a lot more skills than I had back then. And what helped me was my dad was really good at uh, visualization. My dad, God rest his soul, he died a year ago. He was good. He was really into positive thinking. And so I was a wrestler in high school and I wrestled 98 pounds my uh, freshman year, 98, my sophomore, 98, my junior year. And my senior year, I shot up to 106.
1: Hence the album. I was one
2: of those guys.
1: Hence the label. What's that? Hence the label name, 98 pounder.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. And so I was a wrestler and my dad used to say, visualize what it feels like to have the rep raise your arm up and you won visualize standing there and see how good it feels to know all your hard work paid off. So when I started playing, he, he would say to me, Steve, before you go out on stage, just visualize the audience on their feet clapping and how good it feels to stand with your guitar over your head like this. He goes, what does it feel like? And I'd say, it feels so good. He goes, so before you go out, peek behind the curtain, look at the audience and say to yourself, i want to i want these people to have a great time i want to take their troubles away thank whatever you believe in that's god whatever god is to you the power that you've been given these gifts and so before you go out thank the powers that be that you're able to do this but not that you want to be good but that you want to take their troubles away so you're doing service work and then picture them at the end of the show standing with smiles on their faces. And that my friend has been crazy helpful to me. So my dad really passed some great knowledge on to me.
1: God, in in, in all my years now of doing these, I don't know if I've ever heard more useful, actionable advice. I think that's so fantastic. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah. So you can really visualize, you can visualize what you want and and imagine what it feels like to get it. That's
1: the thing. My kids talk about manifestation a lot. I think that's the new, the new way that they, uh, they, they talk about visualizing. You manifest a thing by putting it out in the universe. Oh, that's beautiful, Steve. So um, you've been doing this for four plus decades now. I wonder if you could sort of crystallize some of the wisdom you've accrued over all these years. If you were to meet a version of yourself like a 21-year-old version of Steve Pultz, But in today's world, um, what advice might you give yourself?
2: Strap on a seatbelt, put on your helmet, and enjoy the ride because it is going to be beautiful, and you're going to scrape your knees along the way, and it's going to hurt. But I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because it's going to be raucous, joyous, full of heartbreak, but you're going to earn your calluses. and. Just know that you'll be taken care of. Like I that. truly believe that. I truly believe I wouldn't change a thing in my career. And I've made every mistake you can make in relationships, with drugs. I've, 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 I've seriously done it all. Everything wrong you can do. I know I've done a million mistakes along the way, but I wouldn't change it because I'm sitting here and I'm about to be 62. and I've earned all these calluses and they've been worth it because that's, that's part of the business. Like it's, you can't go to school for this. The school is actually doing it.
1: God, I love it. Ah, I just, I'm so glad that, that I got to talk to you today because I find you so inspiring and, and genuine and lovely. And I can't wait until we're together in real life. Again, the last show I did before the pandemic, you and I played at a Nashville tornado Relief benefit together. And it was such a fun night. It was so great to watch you that night. And here's to, oh my other... God. I know you remember were that. great. Oh, stop.
2: <laughs> yes. You know what else I would, you know what else I would tell myself? Um, try to avoid snorting white powders up your nose. <laughs> yes. I would go back and tell myself that because, like, I feel like I ran into some problems along the way with that. But the one thing I know. I wouldn't change it. I've only done crystal meth twice. And once it was with Mojo Nixon and we were playing this club called Stashes. And I remember I was on the road, we're opening for Mojo Nixon and we're at Stashes in Columbus. And I remember he goes, come down to the basement with me, folks. I got this guy coming down. He's a biker. This biker's coming in from the desert. So there's this biker down there. He's dressed in all black leather. He's got alopecia. doesn't have a hair anywhere on his head eyebrows. And he goes, I made this crystal meth in the basement in a desert. It's pure. And so then Mojo was like, Pulse, you try it first in case it's poisonous. I'm going to be like Sodom Hussein. And you got to be the one who tested." it. And so I didn't want to let Mojo Nixon down. So I remember I, I get the straw and I put up my nose and I snort the meth. And then we go out on stage and we were already high energy. I'm kicking stuff over. I'm going nuts. I smash my guitar on the ground. The crowd goes shit. So later that night when we were doing the loadout after Mojo's show because we would sit in with him on a song. I remember he does this quote. He goes, no more meth for Pulse. Y'all motherfuckers are going to make me work too hard. <laughs> <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> that's what I would tell myself. Do it that one time. And the only other time I did meth was with Shane McGowan from the Pogues. And so Shane McGowan got kicked out of the Pogues for drinking too much. So he starts his band Shane McGowan and the Popes. Mm -hmm. So the Rugburns, we get asked to open. So we get to do a little tour with Shane McGowan. So he loved the Rugburns for whatever reason. He just like took a liking to us because we were wild. So he comes up to me and I'm backstage before I'm going on stage. He goes, and you can't understand what he's saying. He's wearing slippers. Shorts, it's freezing outside, like some kind of weird shorts, a shower cap on his head. He's got these dirty long fingernails. And so we're at this club called Under the Rail in Seattle. And he takes me outside, it's raining, he's got a shower cap on, and he goes, Come at me in a bone booth. He's got those teeth, and he goes, I got some meth. I want to do meth with you. He's got this long, dirty fingernail, oh. and then he sticks it in the meth, puts it in my nose. I'm like, You can't turn down doing meth with Shane McGowan. <laughs> this is like my graduate program i'm getting my doctorate right now so i snorted the meth and then we go in and play the show and destroy the dressing room and get kicked off the door and we literally get chased out of the club with security chasing us because i've broken everything so i would say don't ever do meth again but i did do it twice and those are good memories
1: (laughs) oh my god Oh, boy. I, j- this was worth it for me, uh, just for your mojo and <laughs> Shane McGowan impersonations alone. That's so good. <laughs> oh, Steve, well, congrats on the new record. Happy early birthday. I'm so happy to get to talk to you. I hope we cross paths in real life. And rock on, my friend. Likewise, Brett. I love you. I love you, too. All right. Every day. Thanks, y'all,
2: Osiris.